you're thankful to Jesus and everything that he's done for you, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all are wondering why there is this, this big gap right here in this service? It's because we're, we're missing about 100 people. All of our students are, are down in the fellowship hall. Uh, once a year, we do a special thing to where our students have a, com have a combined life group uh, with some of our senior adult classes, and uh, they all sit at a table together and eat donuts together and just fellowship together. Uh, I praise the Lord that we're a multi-generational church. Amen? I mean, we've got a lot of babies. Uh, we've got a lot of old geezers. Uh, I mean, we have them. Uh, oh, I forgot this one's online. I should not have said that. Everybody online is, is uh, mad at me right now. So I always try to watch my mouth in this service. Oops. Uh, but yes, I love the fact that we have a multi-generational church of all ages. Uh, praise, praise the Lord for that. Uh, also, uh, praise the Lord just for what we're seeing and for what we're learning in the book of Acts. Uh, we're talking about what it means to be spirit-filled. That's, the, uh, that's the, uh, the, the title of this, this sermon series, A Spirit-Filled Life. And I'm trying to give you a definition. I've, you've probably heard that term before, spirit-filled. I'm trying to give you a definition based upon kind of all of Scripture and not just how certain traditions of Christians uh, define spirit-filled. And there's a slide I've been showing you every week. I don't think I showed it to you last week. I want to show it to you this week about just kind of four main points of what that term means whenever we see it in Scripture. Uh, sometimes in Scripture when we see the word spirit-filled, it just simply means to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's this initial experience of being, uh, of being indwelled by the Spirit that's called being baptized by the Spirit. It happens one time when the Spirit comes to indwell us. Sometimes it refers to someone who just bears the fruit of the Spirit. Like in several weeks, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 6. They were looking for some servants or what we would call some deacons and said that they needed to be men full of the Holy Spirit. This was a character quality about them. And then, of course, uh, the fourth one here, we see a lot in the book of Acts and how we are empowered to witness and build up the church and to live on mission. And so we've looked at several things. A few weeks ago, we looked at what it meant to have a spirit-filled mission, Acts 1-8, uh, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of, ends of the earth. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what it meant to be a spirit-filled disciple. We looked at this, uh, this experience at Pentecost where God the Spirit came to indwell all the Christians and never left. That had never happened before. God the Spirit came to indwell all Christians and remains throughout their lifetime. That started in Acts chapter 2. And then last week, uh, I preached about what Spirit-filled preaching is, and we looked at, at several points in regards to that. Well, today, I want to talk about what it means to be a Spirit-filled congregation. Or maybe we would just say church, what it means to be a spirit-filled church. God the Spirit groups us up together. You see, Christianity is not just about you, it's about us. That's what God the Spirit does, and we see it early in Christianity. I mean, the Holy Spirit came and falls on the apostles, Peter preaches a sermon, and then what does God the Spirit do? He begins to assemble groups of Christians together for fellowship and, and, uh, and for other things. And what we see in Scripture is that God the Spirit doesn't just indwell us as individuals, 
the Holy Spirit also indwells groups of Christians that come together in his name. And I don't have this for the screen, but verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, talks about how the Spirit indwells all of us together, our gatherings. And when we look in God's Word, we see multiple references to congregations being formed, churches being assembled, uh, assembled together. We're going to see probably the, well, we're going to see the greatest assembly of Christians ever whenever we're all in heaven together. We're going to all be gathered around his throne, assembled as his one congregation, his one people. You see, heaven's not going to be you and your own private desert island paradise. There are going to be billions of people all assembled together and congregated around God's throne. Some of you introverts are just like, you just messed me up right there, Pastor. It's true. It's going to be a big church, a big gathering, a big assembly, a big congregation of God's people. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the ideal church? I guess we would all have various responses. If I asked you, if I said, hey, what should you be looking for in a church? Some of you might give different answers. Some of you might say things like size. Well, I like a small church. And some of you say, well, no, I, kinda, I, I, like, a, I like a big church. Or some people say, you know what? The ideal church is one that's connected to a certain denomination. Or others of you might would say, no, the ideal church, you, just, you really need to look for a church that's, that's, a, that's non-denominational. Or maybe we would give a programmatic response saying that the ideal church has certain programs. You know, it has a good kids ministry or it does a lot for a senior adult. Or maybe someone might say, no, the ideal church has to be diverse. Everybody has to kind of look different or, or be different. Or maybe, maybe someone would say, well, I like reverent churches or I like expressive churches. But I want to suggest to you today that none of those things should, should describe the ideal church. None of those things should be the first things that you look for whenever you are looking to be a part of a local congregation. I'm going to uh, I'm going to present to you today that there are five characteristics that we should look for in an ideal congregation and we're going to read just this snapshot of this ideal congregation in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through verse 47. And you're going to see that the usual things that we would point to that we would think would make a church ideal or would make a church something that we would desire to be a part of um, from our perspective, from our 21st century American perspective, we probably don't find many of those and maybe none of them uh, in Acts chapter 2. So let's read this together if you don't mind. Stand with me uh, just out of reverence for God's Word and, and, uh, and just give full attention to this, this little summary of what this ideal church looked like that God the Spirit assembled. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, I pray that today that you would open our hearts and open our minds to what an ideal congregation should be and what it should look like and what it should do. And I pray, Lord, that those of us here at Stephen Street would seek to match that. And I pray, God, that congregations all over our city, I pray congregations all over our world would begin to embrace what God the Spirit desires to do within His churches. And Father, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as you can see, this is just kind of a summary, just kind of a, kind of a snapshot. And, um, you know, if someone walked up to you and said, hey, tell me about your church, if you were able to give this type of summary about your church, man, that's the type of church that we all need to be looking for and that we all need to be striving for. That's a, that's a pretty, I mean, when you, th you think about it, that's only, what, maybe eight sentences or so? that describe a whole lot of things that could be said uh, about what an ideal church should be. Um, uh, what I'm going to do today, though, is I'm going to give you five characteristics of a spirit-filled congregation looking at these verses, even though I could, I could really extrapolate and pull out and exegete a lot more from that. I'm going to try to I'm going to kind of try to give you a bird's eye view of this. But first, let me let me just kind of let me let me tell you a little bit different, a little bit about the difference between church and congregation. I don't want to split hairs here, but when we say church, we mean something very very different than whenever we see the word church in scripture. For example, this morning I woke up and my youngest son came up to me and said, Daddy, do we have, every, any, we have anything going on today? And I said, yes, son, we're going to. Right, and what did I mean by that? I meant that we're going to get in the car and we're going to drive to this building, to this place, to this location. Do you know there's not one single time when the word church is used in the New Testament that it referred to a location to, or to a building. It never referred to a building. And if I were to, if I were to say, you, hey, tell, uh, say to you, hey, tell me about your church, you might say things like, oh, my church is great. We have, uh, you know, this large lobby where we can stand around and drink coffee. And, uh, you know, we have this slide. And we're a good, kid, good kids ministry. And, man, our church, we do really great missions. As a matter of fact, we just uh, have some people that got back from South Asia last night. They had a great trip. We're sending another group to Rwanda. And we, have, we do missions all over the world. We plant churches. And, and you might would say some other things that you really like about our programs and about our ministries or maybe about our personnel. Maybe you might say, man, the preacher, he's got really good content, but his jokes are bad. But, you know, you can kind of get over that. All, see, all of those things would not necessarily be about the congregation as much as they would be about our administration and as, 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 as they would be about our organization. The New Testament, the word in the New Testament that's translated church, hey look, Joshua, you're studying Greek in seminary, all right? You need to tell me, why don't, why don't the translators just translate it congregation? 
The English word church wasn't around until 1200 AD, and it was used to describe a building. Congregation is what the writers of the New Testament mean when they use the word, the Greek word ekklesia, translated our English church. What they mean is not what we mean when we say church. They mean congregation. They mean people. And in this summary that we just read, there was not a word said about anything administrative, nothing organizational, uh, nothing really hardly at all about personnel. I mean, there was certainly nothing about denomination and nothing about a building. That's the way that we use the word church. But what, what we see in the New Testament is that it's about the congregation. God the Spirit, listen, God the Spirit is interested in the congregation. Everything else is just extra. God the Spirit is not near as interested in the appearance of these facilities and the, the different organizational stuff that we do as He is the congregation, the people that are what we would say the true church, but the, the congregation. And so what are these five characteristics? I'm going to burn through these pretty quick because I could, I could preach a full-length sermon on any one of these and more that we see that arise out of this passage. I just want to kind of glance over this and give you five characteristics of a spirit-filled congregation or we could say an ideal church or we could possibly say the type of church that we want to become. First, devotion devotion we see clearly undoubtedly that this congregation was devoted to each other when god the spirit moves upon a people and gathers them together there is a high degree of devotion that they have as in the individuals and that you see that exists among them as a congregation well what is devotion devotion is a great word devotion means a steadfast course of action. That's what devotion is. A steadfast course of action. You're devoted to something. I bet you're devoted to sports. Oh, come on now. How many of you UT fans, you're devoted to sports? Or how many of you have kids uh, that play sports? And you drive them all over creation so you can watch them play that sport and you pay them a lot of money. That takes a, that takes a lot of devotion. Uh, maybe you're devoted to school. Y'all devoted to school? All my college students right here? Y'all, oh, come on now. You're probably like, I'm doing it. But I mean, to say I, in my heart I'm devoted to it, I mean, maybe, kind of. What about work? devoted to work you see everything that you're devoted to you pour yourself into and when God the Spirit is at work in a congregation you see a high degree of devotion to Jesus you don't see a bunch of lukewarm uh, non-committal groups of people together and every every group of people has an identity just like every individual has an identity and one of the identities you find within groups of Christians in which God the Spirit is at work is you see a high degree of devotion 
and they are stubbornly devoted to Jesus. And there's all types of things that I could point out in this passage that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to the prayers. They were devoted to giving, financial generosity. Uh, but one of the main things that they were devoted to is they were devoted to sound doctrine. This is the second characteristic that we see in a spirit-filled church. The Bible says they, were de they devoted themselves and really devoted themselves, you could, you could say they were devoted to everything that's stated all the way through the end of the chapter, but the first thing that jumps out, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is really important. They devoted themselves, I'm just calling this, I'm just gonna call this sound doctrine. God the Spirit leads a congregation and guides a congregation towards sound teaching so that they might crave Scripture and love the gospel. That's what the apostles' teaching is. The apostles' teaching is whenever they crave Scripture and they love and they want to embrace the gospel. That's what the apostles' teaching is. Generally speaking, broadly speaking, the apostles' teaching is found in the 27 books of the New Testament. We still have the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is all 27 books. All 27 books of our New Testament really find their origin in one of the apostles. Um, now, Luke was, Luke was not an apostle, but he got a lot of his information from apostles. So uh, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, um, not written by an apostle, but definitely a lot of that information came from those apostles. So we still have the apostles' teaching fossilized and canonized in the 27 books of our New Testament. So generally speaking, we still have the apostles' teaching. But more, more narrowly focused, the apostles' teaching was specifically the gospel. That's, that's, that's what the apostles really honed in on, and you can see it, weave, it's, it's, it's weaved its way all the way through all 27 books of the New Testament. At the core of sound doctrine is the gospel. And what the gospel is, stated very simply, as simply as I can tell you, here's, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is who Jesus was, what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, die and be and re raised again for our sins, what Jesus will do, save us, and our obligation to live through him, uh, live for him through repentance and a life on mission. In a nutshell, that's what the gospel is. It circumnavigates around Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he taught, what he can do, and our obligation to follow that. So if we take that and we say, okay, we have the apostles teaching the New Testament. We have the gospel more specifically, which all about Jesus. Here's what sound doctrine is. Sound doctrine is when we take those things and we provide instruction in discipleship. Okay? Sound doctrine is, is, is not academic theology per se. Now, I'm not saying I don't read that stuff and... Uh, you know, if, if you're a seminary student like Joshua is, then, you know, you got to read that stuff. Or like Jesse is, you, you're, you're reading it all the time. Sound doctrine is not theology per se. We're not trying to become smart religious people. We're trying to become people who are godly, who follow Jesus and walk with him. We're not trying to become Pharisees. 
the people that were most versed in theology in Jesus's day and in the early church, the people that were most versed were the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. They were religiously smarter than anyone else. We're not trying to become like that. Sound doctrine equals instruction in discipleship. If we don't walk as disciples, then we're getting the wrong doctrine. There's something, there's something wrong with it unless we're learning to love Jesus more and obey Jesus more. And so at Stephen Street, we kind of have open-handed doctrinal issues and we have some really close-fisted, like we're going to have to have, you know, a, 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 a doctrinal brawl over, okay? Uh, and some of the open-handed things uh, would be things like music styles. Some of you are like, you know, I like the band type musics on this side of the stage more than I like the orchestral type music on that side of the stage. We're not going to fight over that. We're not going to fight over how to dress. <laughs> I think one of the most arrogant things ever is expecting people to dress a certain way when they come to church. You should just be you. You, just be, you should just be who you are. Now we want you to be covered. We want you to be properly covered. We're not going to fight over that. If you want to wear a tie, wear a tie. You want to wear blue jeans? We don't care. That's, that's not, that has nothing to do with sound doctrine. We're not going to argue over the right Bible interpretation, or excuse me, the right Bible translation. Man, get you a modern translation. There's plenty of them out there. Uh, that's not have anything to do with sound doctrine. We're not even... We're not even going to get all bent out of shape or over more reformed and less reformed. And some of you are like, do what? Don't worry about it. Um, we're not, we're not going to get all bent out of shape about these types of things. Look, even the end times, all right? Me and Rick Lohorn love to have conversations about the end times. We disagree a little bit over the order of events. We don't get bent out of shape about that kind of stuff. Those are open-handed issues. But you want me to tell you some closed-handed issues? Now look here. I need you to get your amens ready because I want to feel good, all right? I need you to get your amens ready. So here are some things that are really, really important to us, all right? The inerrancy, infallibility of the Bible. Yes, all right? That's important to us. Sound doctrine. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Amen. All right, we believe in the Trinity. We believe Jesus is fully God, fully man. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone. We believe in the reality of heaven and hell. We believe that you must repent to be saved. You see, these, these, are, these are sound teaching that lead to proper instruction in discipleship and how to actually live our life. Sound doctrine has to be the most important thing that you look for whenever you go to join a church. Not the kids' ministry, not the music, not style, none of that stuff. Building, location, none of that stuff. It needs to be sound doctrine. And then, number three, here's the, here's the third one. This is something else that you need to look for when you look for a church. Unity. Unity. God, the Spirit, brings Unity. We see this all throughout Scripture, that when God the Spirit is involved in a congregation, He draws them together closely to love and to care for one another. 
In other words, the people in the congregation, they're more concerned about the congregation than they are the administration or denomination or affiliate or all of those types of things. It's, it's, it's the people. And here, here, here's what we see. I, I think I can make an argument that this whole passage is about unity. This, I, I think I could make, I, I could legitimately preach this passage and, and only preach a sermon on unity. Everything that we see that happens in these verses or, and all the little words and phrases mentioned in these verses draw back to a group of people who are together and that love and care for one another. Look at these words. They had things in common. Uh, they had this fellowship. We use the word connection at Stephen Street. Uh, you, you, you see that a lot. This is, this is what makes church feel good. As a human being, you desire and need the warmth and the acceptance and the friendship of other people. I don't care how much of an introvert you are. You need this as a human being. And there is, listen, I know some of you might not believe this. Um, there is no better place to find that as a human being than among the people of God. There's no better place. I mean, the world wants you to point you to other places, you know, to the bar scene or to, you know, some kind of a social media or whatever it might be. The best place that we can go to find the human connections that we need from others to sat that satisfies us better than anything else is we find it among a congregation. You know, let me tell you who knows this? Satan knows this, and that's why he tries to put disunity and infighting within a congregation because he knows if he can do that, and listen, if he can get bad doctrine or light doctrine or no doctrine to be taught and preached, and if he can get people to fight among each other and be jealous, he, he knows that he can destroy any church, any congregation. In fact, I've said this before, those are the two biggest threats to a congregation that we're warned about time and time again in the New Testament is false doctrine and, uh, and, and disunity. These people, man, they did all types of stuff together. They ate together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They gave money together. They ministered together. And they had this, even though there was diversity. Remember two weeks ago, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we read about all the diverse number of people that were there on the day of Pentecost, spoke all kinds of languages, all types of different places. All these people were different, but yet they found unity and connection with each other, not because of their identity in the world, but because of their identity in Christ. And listen, unity is your responsibility. I always get in my mind, you know, that guy who always has the mean face on, always has his arms crossed, and uh, he, might come in, he, might, he might come in and just kind of sit on the back row and not really talk to people or anything like this, and, and he's real prickly, and then he goes home and talks about, you know, how unfriendly the church is. I always want to show that guy to a mirror and say, hey, could we walk into the restroom together? I just want you to, I just want you to see yourself. Or that person that makes no effort to get to know new people. We have this big, nice lobby so you can stand around and talk and drink coffee together. And what do y'all do? You just run through it as fast as you can, you know. Run, drop your kids off, run through it. Now, you might grab a cup of coffee so you can come spill it on our carpet, which happens 
uh, quite a lot. We have, this, we have this nice lobby where you can stand around and talk and meet new people. We have life groups that meet on campus Sunday mornings so you can go to a small room and connect with people. Um, and it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Some people say, well, you know, those people aren't very friendly. Well, are you friendly to them? You know, if you want to make a friend, be a friend. As a matter of fact, I challenge you this. Next time you feel lonely, go, go scan and find somebody that looks like they're alone and go minister to them. Next time you don't feel the presence of God in your life, go share the gospel. Next time you feel like you have needs that are being unmet, go meet somebody else's need. We, we, we assemble with God's people to give. We're not consumers of religious goods and services. Beep, beep, feed me, feed me like a little bird. That's not what we, that's, that's one of my pet peeves. Oh, I'm, I'm just not getting fed there. Really? You're not getting fed? Well, why not? I mean, have you ministered to someone? Do you talk to people? Do you connect? I mean, you, you ought to, you come here to serve and to feed and to worship and to pour yourselves out. And you do that and the Spirit of God unites you with people. You don't want to be like that friend that's always emotionally draining on someone. You're, you're not here to consume. And so unity is, uh, is, is our uh, responsibility. Okay, next is uh, spiritual power. Spiritual power. This is another great quality. God the Spirit, when He is involved in a congregation, there's always going to be a measure of transformation or power or something that something that God does that's not human in nature. And um, now we know that God in His sovereignty, He chooses when to part seas and He chooses when to make axe head floats. Our God does all kinds of, of things. In His sovereignty, He's even spoken through a donkey. He, had this, he did this great thing in, in uh, these, these early Christians at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 where they spoke in all of these unknown languages and 3,000 people got saved. And God the Spirit in, in His sovereignty is going to choose in His timing, in His purpose, and in His way when and how He does things. But I bet if I pass the microphone, I bet some of you could tell some stories, some God stories about some things that he has done in your life. And when we hear those things, it brings us to a measure of awe. That's what happens when God the Spirit is involved in a congregation. The people have a sense of awe. The people have a sense of reverence. And I'm not talking about a certain, a certain musical expression. I'm talking about in their heart, their soul has an awe for God, a, a fear and a, and a Godward consciousness. There's something holy and reverent about assembling with the people of God. And then there's, there's, there's joy, there's gladness. God the Spirit, when He's active among us and when He does things among us, it makes us, it makes us glad. And we praise the Lord. This is an expression that God, I believe God the Spirit moves us to praise. In fact, if we read in Ephesians where it says, do not be drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And how are we to be filled with the Spirit? 
through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's what we do together when we, we collect ourselves together, we gather ourselves together. We have God on our mind. We're not looking for our favorite song or favorite music style. We want to honor Jesus, and He honors that, and He fills us with His Spirit when we sing, when we worship, whenever we talk to one another, whenever we listen to the Word of God as it is preached, it brings praise up in us. And we give God the Spirit credit for it. And then lastly, we see ministry fruitfulness. You see, I could spend so much time on each and every one of these individually. We see this, this fruitfulness that happens. The Bible says they had all things in common. Can you imagine? They just sold their stuff and they just came and laid at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed proceeds to all as any had need. Look, they had generous hearts. They had generous hearts. They just wanted to give. They wanted to give their stuff. They wanted to give their money. They wanted to pour themselves out. And they had a good witness in the community. It says they had favor with all the people, not with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They didn't like these people too much, and they end up dragging them before the Sanhedrin and persecuting them and all that type of stuff. But the people had favor with the people. And the result was that, that the Lord added to the number. More people were being saved. You see, God the Spirit assembles people together for worship and mission. That's discipleship. Worship and mission. If anybody says, what is the church for? It is an assembly of God's people for worship and mission. We come here to worship and pour ourselves out to Him so that we might leave out from this place and live lives on mission where we pour ourselves out for the kingdom. That's what God the Spirit does when He assembles us. And if no one's receiving ministry, and if no one's being evangelized, and if no one's going on mission, no one's being saved, no one's witnessing or sharing the gospel, there's a problem. There's a problem. And a congregation like that needs to beg God the Spirit to come and be involved with them. Because as a result here, needs were met, people were saved, and God did all types of amazing, awesome, and incredible things. So, uh, let's, let's, let's look at, let's, let's take those five together. And they're, they're printed on the back of your bulletin, by the way. If, by the way, if, you are, if you're a note taker, I, I printed on the back so you could just kind of have them. I want to ask you if, if maybe you would think about some of these things and pray over some of these things and consider how you can help your congregation to embrace these better. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean to have a critical spirit towards your church um, and say, well, we don't do this very good, we don't do that very good. What I mean is, how can God the Spirit be more active and involved in your life so that you can be more devoted, you can crave sound doctrine, you can bring more of a unified spirit among people, that you can be a channel through the Holy Spirit's power uh, to benefit your congregation so that you can help your congregation be more fruitful. You see, like I said before, that, that's, that's what we're here for. We assemble 
so that we can pour ourselves out for each other and for the gospel and for a lost world, not so that we can consume religious goods and services. And maybe you've never looked at church that way. Maybe you've just said, well, you know, I'm going to shop for a church the same way that I shop for a bacon cheeseburger. What's the best one in town? What's the one that fits my taste? And look, I know that, I know that churches are different. I mean, that's why you, when you go to Baskin-Robbins, they got a lot of different flavors of ice cream. But guess what? It's all still ice cream underneath. And that's the important thing that we look for. We look for, is, is God the Spirit involved? Do I have, is there sound doctrine? Is there unity? Is there spiritual power? Are all of these things, are they, is there ministry fruitfulness? All of these things, are, are they present there? And most importantly, am I a channel through which those things are becoming a reality within my congregation. You see, these are things that we ask God the Spirit for. And so, really the most important thing that, uh, by way of application, I could ask you about is, are you a part of God's universal church? Because you'll never think that way unless you are part of the body of Christ. I don't mean, are you a member of this church? specifically, or another church, but are you a member of God's church, that grand assembly that will take place in heaven one day? Are you a member of that church? You will never think in your mind, I'm here to serve the body of Christ, if you're not a member of the body of Christ and cherish the body of Christ and have a relationship with Jesus. And really, that's the first point of application, the the most important point of application that I could ask you is, are you a true member of the body of Christ? Have you been saved? I want to ask us all to stand at this time. And as we stand, I'm going to ask you uh, just to respond in prayer. So if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes. And I want you to ask God the Spirit to show you whether or not You are a member of the body of Christ. Not a member of this church. Not a member of a local body. But are you a member of God's universal, the universal church? Will you be gathered in heaven with him one day? That's the most important thing that you can do in your life right now. The most important thing that can happen to you in your life right now is to call upon the name of Jesus. And you could just ask Jesus to save you. Say, Jesus, I believe in who you were. I believe in what you taught. I believe in what you did. I believe what you can do to save me. And Lord, I know that I'm obligated to repent of my sin. Just pray a prayer similar to that. Or if you don't have the words, you could just keep it simple. You could just say, Jesus, save me. Maybe there's one of these principles that was spoken today that you could say, you know, I think God the Spirit could really help me to help my church in this way. Maybe you want to pray about one of those. But I hope you'll respond to the Lord today in a way that is in fitting with how God the Spirit has spoken to you. And if something has impressed your heart today, I want you to press it back upon God in prayer. The Spirit of God presses it upon us, and then we press it back to the Lord as we speak to Him about it and talk to Him about it. So 
We're going to take some time. We're going to give you a few moments to pray silently to yourself. You can obviously come to this altar and pray if you'd like. And after just a few minutes, we'll sing a song together.